Bible, raise your hand, and we'll get a Bible to you so you can track along with us. Ephesians, where are we at? Chapter 17 of Ephesians. Is there 17 chapters? <laughs> Chapter 4. <laughs> it's like, man, that book grew. Four seventeen. Four seventeen. Everybody there? Getting there? Still hearing some rustling. It's one of the greatest sounds ever, isn't it? Bible pages rustling. Rustling, rustling, rustling. Are we all there? Everybody there? Ephesians 4. Lord, we just thank you so much this morning. We trust that you've been blessed by... Um, the songs, the praise, as we lifted up our voices, communicating to you. We, we thank you for who you are. You are a miracle-working God. So faithful to your word. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. You're a way maker where there seems to be no way. Lord, you work in special ways in our lives. As we look back, we see your past faithfulness in doing this, and we know it speaks of your future faithfulness. And so this morning is no different. We come before you to your word now as we open your word. We thank you for your faithfulness to minister to our hearts, to speak to us, to meet us right where we're at. You're so good to do that. And Lord, you know exactly what each and every one of us needs to hear this morning, we are in need of a fresh work of your spirit, God. And so we thank you for all that you're going to do by your grace and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So chapter four, I just want to give us a quick reminder of where we are uh, in context. We didn't just open up this book and begin here in chapter four. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a church that he had pastored, had been involved with for over three years. And you remember the first three chapters, the Apostle Paul reminds the church, reminds us this morning of all of the spiritual blessings that are ours because we belong to Jesus Christ, because we've given him our hearts. Aren't you grateful for the spiritual blessings we have? You guys grateful for those spiritual blessings? And they're amazing to consider as we go back and, and read through those chapters, and we don't have time to do that this morning, but really to be reminded of all that Jesus has done for us, all that he's accomplished because of his work on the cross, his death, burial, resurrection, all that he has accomplished, and now we reap the blessings and benefits, the wealth, if you will. Paul's reminding us that we are wealthy in Christ Jesus, and now we've hit the second half of the book, chapters four through six, is all about our walk with Jesus. So what should our walk look like in light of all that God has done for us? In other words, he's the initiator, and we are the responders. Are you with me on that? 
We love him because he first loved us. It's all about our response to him, who he is and what he's done. And so the the Apostle Paul encouraged us to walk worthy. What does a worthy walk look like? Well, it began with our own hearts, didn't it? To walk in gentleness and lowliness. And not only that, to be long-suffering with people, to bear with people, difficult people, difficult circumstances, endeavoring, making it, making it a, a, an effort to maintain the unity that God has brought into our lives as Christians. He's brought us together from all different backgrounds and nationalities, and all those walls that were once up are taken down in Christ Jesus, and we're made together as one, as a family. And we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And Paul talked about those things that unify us. One Lord, one baptism, one faith, one Father, one Spirit. All those things that tie us together as one. And so Paul reminded us also of what Jesus did. By him coming from heaven to earth and giving his life, right? And then going back to heaven, he has enabled him to give us grace. Aren't you grateful for his grace? To give us grace and to give us gifts as well, spiritual gifts. Every one of us here this morning, if you're a Christian, you have a gift or more than one gift, a spiritual gift to be used in order to do what? To build up the body of Christ for the furtherance of God's kingdom. And we also learn that God has given certain leadership gifts as well to the church, Right? We learned about that also. And the job of a leader in the church is a job for a leader to build up a name for themselves, a huge ministry for themselves. No, it's for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry and the edifying of the body. So it's an other centered thing. It's a Jesus style ministry that leaders are to have. Correct? Are you with me? And so how long, what's the duration of that ministry to be until we all come to the unity of the faith, until we all grow up spiritually, till we we grow in our walk with Jesus to become more like him, and that doesn't end till we pass through the veil into heaven, right? Or have you arrived spiritually? No, not not until we get home. We're, We're a work in pro, are we all a work in progress this morning? We all need God's grace? Okay. Give God's grace to one another too. Okay. So we're all growing, right? And so we're to be equipped for the work of the ministry, right? We're to be, to be built up in our faith also. And so we won't be tossed to and fro when winds of doctrine blow through the church, which happens, false teachings, spiritual fads blow through the church. So you're not blown out of here. So you're not blown away. You have a foundation in your life and it's built upon the word of God. And so my job as a pastor is to feed to lead and to plead. Very simple, right? And it's all other-centered. It's not about building a kingdom for myself as a leader. That's my job, is to to feed the Word of God, to pray for you, to, to provide an example as I follow Jesus for you. And so the Apostle Paul also reminded us that all of us are to speak the truth and love to one another, that we all have this ministry of building each other up. We grow together in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. You guys remember that last week? We talked about that. And now Paul is going to talk about this morning our new life um, in Christ Jesus. Our new life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But he begins by talking about our old life. The way we once lived. The way we once uh, walked. 
in contrast to, to the way we're supposed to walk now as believers. Well, let's check it out. That's a long enough intro, isn't it? Cool. 17, God's Word says, Paul writes, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles or the rest of the, the, the pagans or heathen walk, And we're told how, not in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. So let me draw your attention real quick to verse 17. The Apostle Paul says what? This I say, the conclusion I am coming to in this, in light of, therefore, in light of all that's been communicated previously, and Paul's like, I testify in the Lord. I'm going on record before Jesus and in the name of Jesus. I'm testifying the way that you live your life should no longer be according to the pattern or the course or the way of the heathen world. In other words, we should no longer live like we used to, living like those who don't know Jesus personally. And he begins to talk about, there's nine things he mentions here of things we should no longer, things that should no longer characterize our lives as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he begins with number one, look at verse 17, in the futility of their mind. That word futility, I looked it up, it means aimless, lacking purpose lacking any meaningful end. In other words, what they set their minds on, what they live for, has no meaningful end. They're only focused on temporary things, um, and their mind and their thinking is centered around themselves. Do you remember when you lived like that? It was all about you, right? Living for the, everybody's living for the weekend, right? Is that a song? Is that a song? <laughs> If that brings, stirs up some bad memories, forgive me. That's, but that's where we once were, aimless, right? There was not any purpose. There was not meaning, right? We bought into the lies that we were told in school, right? You're, you're, you're from some primordial sludge and a bunch of fortuitous things that have happened. And man, you're, you're, your life has no meaning. That's not, that's not true at all. You are created. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by God created for a relationship with him, a God who loves you, who cherishes you, and wants to lead and direct your life. And so this is life apart from Jesus, aimless, fruitless, empty. Remember the conclusion Solomon came to in Ecclesiastes? Here's a dude that had everything, money, wealth, uh, wisdom, everything. And, And the conclusion he came to, he was searching, trying to fill the emptiness in his heart with everything under the sun, right? And what was the conclusion he came to? It's all, it's all vanity. It's all vain. It's all empty. 
Because the only meaningful thing is to have a meaningful, real relationship with the true and the living God. So Paul reminds us, don't go back down that trail in the futility of your mind. Number two, verse 18, what's the second thing? Having their understanding darkened. Understanding is thinking, dark thinking, obscuring God's light. Their minds are not operating under spiritual truth or the scriptures. In other words, they have not been illuminated by the Holy Spirit to understand God's word. So no Holy Spirit, no Bible, right? Do you guys remember before you got saved, the Bible? It's all Greek to me. That's what it was like for me. <laughs> Open it up. It's like, what is this even talking about, man? But then what happens? Then you give your life to Jesus and the author comes into your heart and it goes from words on a page to life. He speaks to you and meets with you and touches your heart and transforms your life. And so now we have understanding. The Bible tells us in Psalm 119, verse 104, through God's word we gain understanding. Psalm 119, verse 130, the entrance of God's word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Look at the third thing Paul mentions here uh, in verse 18, alienated from the life of God. And so before we gave our lives to Jesus, we were alienated. That means dis we were disconnected, not only disconnected from God, but disconnected from the life that he has for us. Jesus said in John chapter 10, the thief comes to do what? To steal, kill, and destroy. That's all the enemy wants to do, the devil wants to do in your life. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and life abundantly. That's Jesus' heart for you this morning, brother or sister, that you would experience life abundantly as he intends. But the problem is they don't have their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's his life apart from him. And then look at the fourth thing that's mentioned with me there in verse 18. Because of ignorance that is in them. That word ignorance means a lack of knowledge, not knowing, unaware. There's moral blindness inside of them. Notice it's in them. They're spiritually dead. Remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 2. It is, verse 14. But the natural man, or the man that's not born again, that hasn't given their life to Jesus, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Why? For they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. And so there's that ignorance, there's that lack of understanding. Why? Because that person hasn't given their life to Jesus. They're not online spiritually. They can't understand the Word of God. In fact, some of you may, some of you may remember when the Word of God was foolishness to you. Oh, you believe that? You believe a giant whale swallowed that dude? Yeah, I do. Because our God is a miracle-working God. He raised him from the dead. He absolutely raised him from the dead. Jesus rose again. He's a miracle-working God. It's a promise-keeping God. And yet, apart from Jesus, there's ignorance. And then look at the fifth thing that's mentioned. Because of the blindness of their... What does your Bible say? Blindness of their... Blindness of their hearts. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3... Paul wrote, but even if our gospel, if the good news is veiled or concealed, it is concealed to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, that's Satan, has blinded, 
who do not believe. Why? Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So Paul tells us it's like a combo package going on in the life of an unbeliever. The devil is blinding the mind, and that person is walking in unbelief. And and you guys know Jesus said that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They're not willing to come to the light in order to be in order to be given their lives over to the Lord. And so that's why our hearts yeah, our hearts are dangerous. Did you know that this morning? Your heart is dangerous. Well, wait a minute. I heard Disney say the princesses were saying follow follow your heart. Yeah, there it is. You know it. I've had you know how many times I've had to like redirect my girls. Okay, this is like let's pause the v, let's pause the VCR. Remember that? They still have those. They still have those things. Let's pause. It's a little timeout. Put a pause on the princesses. No, we can't. Here, here's the problem. You don't want to follow your heart. What, they're telling me my heart won't lie to me. If I just follow my heart and do what my heart says, everything's going to be. What does God say about our hearts? You guys remember what God, God's assessment of our hearts? It's what got us in the got us in the mess in the first place. <laughs> Jeremiah 17:9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So the biggest liar in the whole entire world is living in my chest. That's why we need a new heart. That's what God offers, a new heart and a new start. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. And so before we came to know Jesus, before we gave our lives to him, our heart was leading us down the wrong road, right? Why? Why? Because we have a natural disposition towards sin. Our hearts hungered for things that were not right. And then the Lord gives us a new heart and a new start as we simply, our part was simply to what? To put our trust in him. And he does the miraculous. Look at the sixth thing, verse 19, that characterized our lives before Jesus, being past feeling. That word means desensitized or calloused or having a seared conscience. In other words, those people that are involved or engaged in the things of the world, involved in unrepentant, habitual sin, they, they don't sense, they don't feel the pangs of conscience anymore. You're, they're living in a condition where, where they've denied their conscience so much that it's become desensitized and they've lost feeling of the light of the conscience that God has placed within us. There's, there's a, reject, a rejection of the Holy Spirit, convicting of sin and righteousness and judgment to come where they can't feel anything anymore. And what's the solution? The only solution is to give your heart to Jesus and get born again. That's the only solution to that. But he also mentions something else here. Look at the seventh thing. They've given themselves over to lewdness. If you give yourself over to something, that involves a choice, doesn't it? Does that involve a choice, you guys? If I give this over to the young lady in the front row, I'm making a choice. I'm giving it to her. They're giving themselves over. They're dedicating their lives to lewdness. And that word lewdness speaks of sexual sins, perversions. Uh, Literally, in the Greek, it's a lack of self-control. So think about that. If if your heart becomes seared, if your conscience becomes seared, 
You're looking for something else, becoming more perverted, more twisted, more wicked, more, more weird in order to get the feeling back. And that's what it's talking about here. Doing twisted stuff to work, there's the eighth thing, to work all uncleanness. And that word uncleanness speaks of things that are not clean or impure. It's an interesting Greek where it's akatharsis. And you put an A in front of any catharsis, it means without. It means not cleaning or without cleaning. And so they're doing things that, that they think will help them, that will heal them. It means also not healing. You guys, some of you guys remember before you gave your life to Jesus, the things you would do to try to get some healing? The, these crystals will. <laughs> Pop a couple of these, you'll, you'll get healed. Here's what you need. This will fix you. How'd that work for you? Not too bueno, right? Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Because only the Lord's the one that can truly heal us from the inside out. And so they won't come to Jesus to get healed. But when you do, you find out that he truly is the, not only the wonderful counselor, but he's the great physician. And he begins to heal you and fix you and do those things that only he can do. But look at the last thing that's mentioned here. What's the last thing that's mentioned? Greediness or covetousness, the desire for more things, lusting for a greater number of temporal things. And so Paul says, that's the way you used to live. That's the way the unbelieving world lives, and they don't know any better. better. Why? Because they've not received Jesus. They have not received the new nature that he offers. Are you with me? Are you still with me this morning? I think there's something important for all of us, though, as believers this morning, as we read this passage, I think we cannot forget where we came from. Do you know what I mean by that? Because we can, we can start to walk with the Lord for a while and, and grow in our walk, and then we look at people doing the things, the nine things that are listed there, and we say, isn't that disgusting? Aren't they Disgusting. Whoa, whoa, time out. That's where I came from. Oh, pastor, not me. I didn't get engaged in that stuff. How about in your mind? In your heart? You see, there's level ground at the foot of the cross. We all, the cross is what undresses us, shows us that we're a mess. We got no righteousness in and of ourselves. We are desperately in need of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness. And I think we can't forget where we came from Again, because, you know why else? Because sometimes we still behave the same way. Again, not, maybe, maybe it's not outwardly, but maybe it's inwardly in our hearts. And sometimes, you know, it's sad to say, sometimes as Christians, sometimes we can, we can, we can behave like this and then attach Jesus' name to it. And it's like, oh God, forgive me. Forgive us. Because when we are engaged in those things that we shouldn't be engaged in, we lose the ability to help and to bring healing to others. Because we're engaged in this stuff. We're unable to, to bring mending, to put, to put those broken things back into place like we learned about that word last week. Equipping is to, to, is to bring healing, to bring mending, to put things back into place. But if we're involved in that, if we look like the world, the more we look like the world, the less the less effective we're going to be. And so how does Jesus view those people? Does he say they're oh, what a bunch of disgusting, 
He loves them, doesn't he? Does he want to, does he want to reach them? He does. And so we bring the truth that is in Jesus with compassion to them, recognizing that there go I, but by the grace of God, I was once down that trail. And Lord, you rescued me, you saved me by your grace. You gave me a, a fresh start. We should know their struggle. And we, and we know the solution, don't we, this morning? We know their struggle because some of us came out of all nine. Ch- check that, check that, that was me. I was down that trail and I know what the solution is. There's only one solution. It's not some 10-step program or some guru or some pill or some, don't medicate. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one who brings us out of that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into his kingdom. And so look at the contrast. Look at verse 20. But conjunction, junction, what's your function? Contrast. He's like, all that has nothing to do with Jesus. You have not so learned Christ. By the way, learned is the same word we get disciple. Are you Jesus' disciple this morning? Are you his follower this morning? Are you a disciple? That's like maybe 30% of the room. Are you guys Jesus' disciple, this follower, learner? Paul says, then you're, you're no longer walking that way. You know better. In fact, he says, look at verse 21. This is an amazing verse. It's like I had never seen this verse before till this week. Since you heard his voice and you've been taught by him. Is that amazing? You've heard, Paul says to the church, you've heard Jesus. You've been taught by him. And haven't you? Did Jesus call you to follow him? When we follow him, we stop going our own way. We stop going the way of the world. We stop going the way of the flesh. And what do we do? We start going Jesus' way. Are you with me? There's a change. There's a change of course, change of direction, change of way of life. Now I'm following Jesus. I'm walking with him. We've heard his voice, right? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they, they follow me. Are you following Jesus? He also says, you've learned from Jesus. And isn't that what the Lord said? Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Paul's telling the church, you've heard from Jesus. You're hearing from him. You're learning from him. Where's the truth found? Look at the next part of the verse. Where's the truth found? In who? In Jesus. Now when you come in contact with those people that are searching for truth, tell them, don't go to Tibet. <laughs> There's one place. It's found, the truth is found in Jesus Christ. In fact, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus. Colossians 2. Isn't that great? All the treasures. How much is all? All. All are found hidden in Jesus Christ. Hidden, why? So you can't find them? No, that's so you'll go and you'll discover them. All the treasures, truth is found in Jesus. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus. If I told you there's a buried treasure just for you, out between the two palm trees. You guys know where the palm trees are right out in front here? I make you a map too. I, I put an X marks, a big black X right there. There's a buried treasure just for you. Are you going to go dig in Galveston? Amarillo? You going to go dig up? A... Mike told me there's a, there's a treasure for me. I'm going up to, I think it's up in Amarillo. 
Is that where you're going to go? Where are you going to go? Between the, not hard, not a trick question. <laughs> Between the palm trees, right where the X is, I draw you a little map, not hard. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus. The truth is found in Jesus. Why go looking somewhere else? Go look to him. And if, we, if, we, if we've really had a genuine, sincere experience with the Lord Jesus, it will be evident in the way we live our lives. We will be his disciples. And since that's the case, something is to happen. Here's how to bring change, genuine change in our lives, real change. Look what he says, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man. That doesn't mean you get rid of your dad, by the way. <laughs> the old man, he needs to sleep with the fishes. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> That's not what it's talking about here. Old man is our flesh, our old nature. The old Mike. And it's interesting because Paul uses this like terminology. It's very Paulistic, Pauline, something like, it's like Paul. The put-offs and the put-ons. And it's used for put off is taking off a garment in order to get rid of it, to lay it aside and get rid of it. Put on is putting on or slipping into a new garment that's there for you. That's the imagery right here. In fact, um, I shared first service a number of years ago. My daughters asked me to put on my old baseball uniform from the Phillies. And so I, so I put on the jersey and this thing was huge like a giant smock. Like, it wasn't filled out very well. You know what I'm talking about? Like, the sleeves were huge. And they're like, Dad, what happened to you? <laughs> was, that, was that somebody else's uniform? That uniform doesn't fit. And you know what I realized? I'm not that same person anymore. And that is what Paul is trying to tell you and me this morning, you're not that person anymore. You're a new person in Christ. That old uniform's gone. That old way of life is gone. You're to walk in the newness of life now. Like Jesus told the woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. You've got a new start, a fresh start. Walking with me, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so Paul says, put away, renounce, put aside your previous lifestyle, the flesh, the old me, the old man. And notice the old man, the flesh, grows corrupt. Is that good? Grows corrupt? Growing corrupt is not good. It means to deteriorate, going from bad to worse, or wasting away according to the deceitful lusts. Isn't it interesting? So our flesh, our old man, our old nature is still with us, correct? Correct? Still there? Right? Paul told us in Galatians, the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. There's this battle going on within us. That's how you know you're born again, by the way. That's how you know you're born again. If you weren't born again, you wouldn't care what you're doing. I don't care what anybody tells me. I don't care what the Holy Spirit says. I'm just going to keep living my life any way I want. That's evidence of the new birth, okay? That's a good thing. But we are to walk in the Spirit, and you shall not, you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And I've shared this before, I know, from the pulpit, and I was wrong. 
A little confession time this morning. You were wrong. I used to say my flesh is as rotten today as the day I got saved. That's only partially true. Based on this verse, my flesh is getting worse. We laugh, so is your flesh. (laughs) It grows corrupt. It goes literally in the Greek from bad to worse according to the, what? Deceitful lusts. Our flesh continually lusts, craves, longs for that which is forbidden. And those lusts are what? Deceitful. Deceitful means, check this out, an illusion, fantasy, or fallacy. If I only had this, I'll be satisfied. If I only attain, if I only get, oh, if I only got that, I'll be, I'll be good to go. You get it, and what happens? You go from bad to worse. You hurt yourself, you hurt others, right? Sin is pleasurable for a season, but the way of the transgressor is hard, the Bible says. It's good, you're going to end up, it's going to be a hard road, buckaroo, according to God's word. And there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. And so Paul reminds us, put off the old man. We need, I think this morning we need to recognize how wicked and how evil our flesh is. Are you with me? Paul put it this way. Paul said in Romans 7, he said, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. But when you give your life to Jesus, miracle happens, correct? God Almighty in the person of the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence. You're born again, new man. He's going to get to that in verse 24. But before he gets there, look at verse 23, because we've got to do something here. Something needs to happen in our lives. He says what? Be renewed. Be literally continually transformed. That's what renewed means. Where? What's your Bible say? In the spirit of your in your mind. You know what that means? Our thinking, our understanding, how we perceive things needs to be transformed. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, you guys know Romans 12 too, I think it is, right? Do no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, the renewing of your mind. Don't be pushed into this world's mold but experience a metamorphosis, a transformation from the inside out. How, how does that happen? By the Word of God. The Word of God has the DNA to change your life, brother or sister. Has the power to change our lives as we receive the, the implanted Word with meekness. As we put into practice the things He shows us, we experience His power and the fruitfulness that only He can produce in and through our lives. Because apart from Jesus, we can do, do nothing. And you reap what you... You sow to the flesh, you reap the things of the... You sow to the spirit, you reap the things of the... the, Sow to the flesh. No, I'm not saying you guys are like doing that, but... (laughs) But I'm bringing this up because some people think I'm going to keep sowing to the flesh and I'm going to reap in the spiritual realm. You're deceived. That's the deceitful thing we're talking about here. Because you reap what you sow. And so we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by getting into the Word of God and allowing the Word of God to get into us. We meditate upon the Word of God. You guys know what I'm talking about? By meditating on the Word of God, not some Eastern junk. Emptying yourself and folding yourself up like a pretzel and making noises. 
guess what I'm talking about? Meditate, meditating means reading your Bible, praying, talking it over, mulling it over all day long with the Lord. And that's the man or woman that's going to be blessed, Psalm 1, correct? You want your life to be fruitful in, in things that matter. Is, again, you make this the most important influence in your life is the Word of God. We're looking at that Wednesday night, aren't we? Psalm 119, how powerful, impacting, how beautiful, how glorious the Word of God is. And yet it, it's not going to get into my heart and my mind by osmosis. If I just leave it on my counter, it's going it's to jump into my heart. We have to, get in, we have to get open our Bibles. To, be, to, have, our, to have our minds renewed, we've got to be into the Word of God. Are you with me? Because some of us, listen, some of us, we filled our minds with junk for years, lies. We bought into lies. And what begins to happen, stuff gets untangled. As you get into the Word of God, stuff gets untangled. Like, you learn about how you're supposed to treat your spouse. I thought, man, before I got saved, this is how you treat a woman. And it was totally wrong, man. God says, I want you to love her as Christ loved the church. You're to go into Tanya's world and die. To be her loving rescuer. You're supposed to forgive that person that done you wrong. Is that how you say it? Done you wrong? (laughs) You don't have to bury the hatchet and leave the handle sticking out. Forgive that person as you've been forgiven. We're going to learn about that in just a minute. And what begins to happen, now you're starting to get renewed in the spirit of your mind. Stuff starts to peel away. There's people that in our church that have come, their background is from cults, and they've, learned so, they've been fed so many lies, and then all that stuff starts to get untangled. It's like, wow, God's grace is amazing. This is awesome. Look what the Lord can do in a life, and in a marriage. Look what God can do in a life that, that is given over to him. The healing, the help, the fruitfulness, all these things as we start to allow his word to change and transform us. Man, are you with me this morning? His word brings freedom. Jesus said it in John chapter 8. Let me read this real quick. I know I got stalled on this one verse, but it's so important. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There's freedom. And so then he says in verse 24, check it out. Let's get back to Ephesians 4. Now we put on the new man. That new means of a new kind, a brand new life. A new nature is given to us, created according to God, made by God according to his specs, true righteousness and holiness. And again, remember, there's two natures operating within us. The old one we were born with, that what? That is rooted in sin and iniquity, predisposed to sin. And then now we have the new nature also. That was given to us when we became born again, we, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's a new life that's birthed within us. And you guys know, you moms, dads know, when you have a baby, that baby needs to be fed, nourished, cared for, given opportunities to grow. Same way with the new life within us. And listen, God doesn't fix, reform, or revamp the old nature. He doesn't fix our flesh. He gives us a brand new nature. And now it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He gives us the desire to do it and the power. He couples it with his power to do those things that he asks us to do. It's not me giving you a list of rules or the church giving you a list of rules to follow. It's God giving you those desires within you. 
desire for things that are right because of him. And so there is truly a right-on way to do things, to do things like Jesus. Well, what does it look like? Let's check it out. Look at the next verse. Verse 25. Here's practical application Paul gives us. Therefore, in light of all this, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Why? For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good. Why? That he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. Why? That it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How are we to forgive one another? Even as God in Christ forgave you. Isn't that good? Is that good? So Paul gives us the put-offs and the put-ons, correct? Yes? What does he say? Number one, putting away, get rid of, stop lying. Stop being dishonest. Stop, stop being intentionally false or phony. And then each one of us is to speak the truth. Is that what it says? And it's in, it's in the continual tense, continually speak the truth to those around us. Why? Because we're all connected together. We're all connected. Stop being a phony. Stop being a poser. Stop pretending. That's not the way life is supposed to be. You'll never change as long as you're pretending. Again, drop the fig leaf. Some of you will get that later. It's okay. The gospel levels the playing field. The gospel exposes us for who and what we are. And then we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We don't run around with fig leaves on anymore because he covers us with his righteousness. Be angry. Is it okay to be angry? That's an, that's, a, that's an emotion God's given us. Be angry, but look at the caveat. What does it say? The connector. Do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Just don't let that anger cause you to sin. To blow your top. To blow your witness. Right? To miss the, sin is miss the mark. To violate God's law. To miss God's best. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. You know what that means? Deal with that issue you have, that anger issue with someone else. Has that ever happened? You guys ever have something like that happen in your home? Your mom, you're mad at mom and dad? Ticked off. It's okay to be mad, right? I'm just going to stew and brew and... Then what happens? We let the sun go down on our wrath and it festers. You know what I'm talking about? It doesn't get better. It just grows. It's like a, it has a life of its own. And bitterness and a chip on your shoulder. Then you're, you're all jaded also. I mean, it, it, happens in a marriage. it happens in marriage all the time where we don't choose to forgive. We don't deal with the anger in a godly way, in a biblical way. And I think there's something important for us this morning. So you get triggered. That's a word, but triggered. That's the big buzzword that you get triggered. 
Don't just blow off steam. Bring it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. If you're mad at someone, go to them and in a godly way, in a biblical way, work it out. Because we're all members, what did it say? We're all members of one another. We're all connected together in real relationships. If you have a real relationship with someone, is there friction sometimes? You guys that have been married for a little while, is, is there friction sometimes? Is there anger sometimes? Don't lie in church, it's okay. It's, there is anger sometimes, correct? Let's be honest. There's clashes, frustration. Here's the deal. Healthy relationships work through the anger. You work through it. And you see the anger as an opportunity now to grow. If you get angry and run away, that's sin. You get angry and lash out, that's sin. But when we deal with it, as, we're, as the Lord calls us to, doesn't the Lord call us to deal with it? Deal with one another? Communicate, as God's word says, what can happen? Healing, growth, God gets the glory. Otherwise, what happens is the devil, look at the next verse, the devil wants to divide us, to dismember us. It's important to see this, and he says, stop giving opportunity to the enemy. The devil wants to use your anger and cause you to hurt yourself and to hurt others by sinning. So don't, he says, don't give him any ammo. Don't Give him an opportunity for success. Listen, Moses missed out on the promised land because of anger. Well, Mike, isn't there a place for righteous indignation? I got some righteous indignation about my babe. I doubt it's righteous anger. It's usually, I would say, most of our anger is when the me gets tweaked, my selfishness gets tweaked. Righteous indignation is always other-centered. Like, remember when Jesus had righteous indignation when, when they were using God's house, a house of prayer, and it became a den of thieves. God's people were getting ripped off. Correct? If you go back and study that, he, when he first walked in and saw that, he didn't just snap or start whooping tails. It, he, I think he went back to Bethany and prayed all night. Because it was the next day when he came back and dealt with the issue. I, I would say that's an important lesson, isn't it? You see something that ticks you off. How about taking a night to pray about it? Or taking some time, because I don't think we do. I think we're reactionaries, and what happens? We blow it, we blow our top, we blow our witness. Instead of, okay, you know, I need to, I need to pray this thing through with the Lord. Or, or, or worse, we go on social media and then let it rip. And it's like, wait a minute, aren't you a Christian? Because there's some corrupt stuff coming from your mouth. Is that the next verse? No, it's coming up. Let's go. Verse 28. Almost there. Hey, is it doing okay? Good. Good job. Verse 28. You, you were once a stealer. Is that a word, stealer? You're a thief. Steal no more. Put off stealing. Instead, work hard. Do an honest day's work, not only to provide for yourself, but he's talking about here providing for those, and it's continual tense, continually help those who are in need. That's interesting, isn't it? Because before, I mean, think about before, the old nature, you take what doesn't belong to you. I think even people today rip off their employers, their time, stuff from the office. I'm just going to take a few of these things. It's not going to be missing. And that's stealing. We're, we're now a new creation. 
The hands that God has given us, we use to work hard and to bless others. Well, look at the next verse, verse 29, as we finish up here. Let no corrupt word, in other words, stop, put off, put away the rotten, putrid, worthless speech that's pouring forth, that was pouring forth from your mouth. Stop defiling and damaging others with your words. But what should be coming out of us? Words that are good means honorable, kind, upright, beneficial, and useful. And I think this is so amazing for necessary. So instead of tearing down our words, what's edification mean? To build up that we may, isn't this amazing? That we would impart grace to those listening to us. For me, that's, that's awesome. That you and I can impart grace to someone, favor, kindness. I'm, I'm realizing, you know what? I'm learning how powerful our words really are. The things we say to people, they can make such a difference in people's lives for the better or for the worse. I mean, some of you guys may remember someone that said something to you years ago that's still ringing in your ears or in your mind. Hopefully the good. But listen, today, listen, today, this morning, or this afternoon, whatever time it is, you can change someone else's life by imparting grace to them. Do you know that? You can change someone else's life today by imparting grace to them. It could be, listen, here's a simple application. As simple as this, Jesus loves you. You're forgiven. Isn't that simple to tell someone you're forgiven? Jesus loves you? That's imparting grace. That's good news, isn't it? Is that good news, you guys? Tell me on the way out. If you don't want to tell anybody else. That's imparting grace to someone. Right now you can do it. Because some people, some people, all they've ever heard is condemnation and heaped guilt and shame on them. And now you have the opportunity to wash them, to impart grace to them. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Stop bringing sadness and sorrow to the Holy Spirit. He is the mark of God's ownership. You were sealed. He is the guarantee that we will be in heaven, you guys. That's beautiful. When our faith becomes sight, it's going to become a reality. He's living in each one of us this morning. He is for us. He speaks to us. And you guys know, he speaks to us. And here's an opportunity for grace, Mike. And I explode. And now I've saddened the Holy Spirit. That's the idea. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. And we read here the things that grieve the Holy Spirit, but we also see the environment that pleases the Holy Spirit, that blesses him, marks that Jesus is being seen in our lives. It's glorious. Let's finish up. Two verses. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness, that word speaks literally of poison, resentment, grudge, bad blood, ill feeling, ill will, you're jaded. Let all bitterness, wrath, Wrath speaks of breathing hard kind of anger. That's the idea there. Um, anger, that's a stewing and brewing type of anger. Clamor, that is screaming and yelling. Evil speaking, that's, that's slander, gossip, take a message, I'll get back to them. 
and evil speaking be put away from you. That stop, get rid of it with all malice. That's, that's wishing evil on someone, bringing evil, harming someone, bringing evil into their lives. That was the old life, but now, what are we to put on? Be kind to one another. That means good and gracious continually. Tender-hearted or soft-hearted, compassionate, merciful, forgiving one another. How are we to forgive one another? Even as God in Christ forgave you. Well, how has God in Christ forgiven you? Does he hold a record of wrongs? Does he have a list? He's checking it twice. Is he going to bring them up next week? Hebrews 8. God says, your sins and your lawless deeds, I will remember no more. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your record has been expunged. It's gone. So now let's put that in context. How have we been forgiven? All of our sins and our lawless deeds, forgiven, forgotten, gone forever. And we are to forgive one another. How? That same way. How are you guys doing with that? It's not easy. Jesus taught a parable about forgiveness. Didn't he? You guys remember when Jesus was talking about forgiveness and Peter said, Lord, how many times should I forgive them? Up to seven times? You guys remember that? And Jesus said, 70 times seven, 490. Okay, I'm on 483, seven more, I'm done. Is that what we're to do? We're to keep it, uh, uh, what are those things? One, two, three, four, slack. Is that what we're supposed to do with people? 490, I don't have to forgive you anymore. Is that correct? Listen, 490, where's the other time we see that? Daniel 9? 490 years left on the prophetic calendar for the Jews, the Jewish people, until the kingdom is ushered in. You know what he's saying? You're to forgive until the kingdom becomes a reality. You little prophecy buffs, you out there. (laughs) And then he tells a parable. You guys remember the parable he tells? This guy has an unpayable debt. Just like you and I, our sin debt accrued unpayable. We could never pay off our debt. And all of a sudden, he gets called in before the boss man, right, into the office. You guys remember that? Pay up. Or you're going to the torturers. And what did he do? He begged for mercy. Give me mercy. Give me what I don't deserve. Forgive, my, forgive me. I will pay every last dime. Give me what I don't deserve. And what did the boss man do? <whistles> Forgiven, forgotten, gone forever. Your debt's gone. Correct? Is that, yeah. You guys remember that? Yeah. So he cruises out of the office, right? You guys remember that? Yeah. He's, right, he's comes out of the office and spots somebody that owes him like 10 bucks. Dude, you owe me money. Grabs by the throat. Dude, you pay up or you're going to the torturers, man. And the guy said the same thing. Same words. Give me mercy. Would you give me mercy? 
Give me what I don't deserve. I'll pay you back every dime. And what did he do? No way. No mercy. And then what happened? The boss man heard about it. Send that wicked servant back in here because unforgiveness is wickedness. And what did he do? You're going to the torturers until every dime is paid. And that's what happens with unforgiveness, you guys. We're tortured. You're in the tiniest prison cell that you could ever find yourself in, and that is in your own skin if you are walking in unforgiveness towards someone this morning. And I'm sharing this because I love you. We have to choose to forgive. Just like Jesus as he hung on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. We have to choose to do that. Whether we feel like it or not, we're called to do that. Are you with me? Don't we pray that prayer, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom, thy will be on earth as it is in. Give us this day our daily bread and as we forgive those who, Lord, I want you to forgive me just like I forgive everyone else. The church I grew up in, I had that memorized like down. And then you get saved and you go, whoa, 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 time out. What am I asking here? Listen, forgiveness is so important this morning. That's where freedom is found when you forgive, when you choose to forgive. I, I would say this morning, can you think about someone that you're not forgiving right now. For some of you, that person's running your life. They're controlling your life. You're bitter, you're mad. It's like you've got to choose to forgive this morning, just as you've been forgiven. That's where freedom's found. That's just like Jesus walking in the new nature, the new man. To say, I choose to do that, Lord. Even if I don't feel it, feel like it. The Lord doesn't say, oh, do this if you feel like it. Does he? Feelings may or may not be there. They may never be there. And then you start praying for that person. And what begins to happen, you begin to get the Lord's, how he sees them. His mind for them, his heart for them. You know, Corey, you guys ever heard of Corey Ten Boom? Remember Corey Ten Boom? She survived the Nazi uh, Holocaust. All the Jews were being killed, and she was at a concentration camp, and she survived. Her sister um, was killed in the concentration camp. I can't remember the name of it now, but years later, she's speaking somewhere, and the, one of the, one of the uh, Nazi guards from the prison came up to her afterwards, after she was done teaching. Can you imagine... He was there presiding over all that was going on and he comes up and he says, I'm a Christian now, would you forgive me? And she said it took everything she had to lift her hand and to tell him, I forgive you. But she said, when I did, I just felt this surge of of love that was not there before. And she said, I forgive you. And listen, that's, the, that's what the Lord's asking us. Just, again, just like the man with the withered hand, just to, okay, I'm going to do it. I'll extend forgiveness. And the Lord will give you what you need. 
But until you do, you're going to be in prison. You're going to be shackled. And this morning, we need to follow our Lord's example. Amen? In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for your forgiveness. That you hold no record of wrongs. Love holds no record of wrongs. And God, I just pray for my precious brothers and sisters, those that are perhaps holding on. God, that they would hear from you this morning. Hear your heart. Hear your instructions. We've come to hear from you, Lord, to learn from you. I pray that they would experience your strength and your power and 